playing the ukulele badly because this podcast is self-produced weird stuff has happened in the past and here i am to tell you about it i guess yeah i will yeah absurd real hello and welcome to absurd real history the podcast where i find weird stories from the past and find excellent strange wonderfully weird people to tell them to i'm sarah shanae and this week i'm really excited to be joined by actor extraordinaire denny redmond yeah. hi denny hello sarah how are you <laughs> i'm good i love i love that little ah! i just it's weird being introduced as anything people don't talk to me usually yeah i think we're also used to uh, being confined that we're like we're not used to how to present ourselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I've I've never been well adjusted, so the last year is only further that kind of descent into um into nothingness. Mm. But you know what? I'm out the other side, and I'm here to have a lot of fun. Great. Well, I think like all of us that pursued acting, none of us really have have it all together and have our have our own problems and insecurities, which is why we followed this career. Absolutely. We want validation absolutely. all of the time. Yeah, you know, we need that validation. Please tell me if you like this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> great to have you on, Denny. Yeah. Usually I kind of start off these episodes by giving a little like question or like, oh, what's going on? But I'm just going to launch straight into it. I will say with this topic, it was one of those ones that I had to stop myself because there's just so much research and there's so many things to talk about. Right. And from this, I actually found about eight different future podcast episodes so I had to be really like careful of like okay what am I actually focusing on and how do I not give give stuff away for future things so to start off just to launch into it Denny's so on it she has no idea what we're talking about yeah that was supposed to, that, that was so general I'm like well, what are we gonna be divulging it to like food <laughs> so there's an old like medical report from like the 1840s and it mentions almost in passing like this throwaway story about like an incident in a secluded catholic nun convent in france in the middle ages where a single nun inexplicably began meowing <laughs> i thought you were going to talk about Ber- bernadette and lords and no you went no meowing okay yes instead of people being like oh this is a bit weird all the other nuns started meowing as well mm-hmm. Yeah. And this this happened for a while, and then it stopped, and then things were normal, and then the next day it happened again, and then this kept like happening, and then more nuns were meowing every day. It, sometimes it lasted hours at a time until soldiers were brought in to beat and whip the nuns until they stopped, oh. and then they did. They stopped meowing. That was a lot of fun until the last five <laughs> seconds. That was a lot of like, oh, solidarity, you know, you know, very midsummer, you know, uh, the crying together, you know, a female unity. And then um, a bunch of men came in and were um, horrific. Mm. That's great. Wow. And how old was this nun? I, I don't know the specific age. Like, see, this is the thing. I wanted to do the entire podcast episode about that specific story. Right. But that's really all there is about it is this like paragraph from this like medical book from the 1800s where this guy's like, oh, there's this story that I've read in a few textbooks of blah, 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 blah. That's it. That's really all the information we have. It was just such a dramatic intervention. I just feel like there could have been 
better ways to minimize the meowing. I suppose, what were the complaints? Was the meowing too loud at night? Well, um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a bit weird. Also, there's the whole thing with, particularly in Catholic Europe, the, the cats are very associated with the devil. So like, you know, demonic possession and all that kind of carry on. There was another similar, there, I mean, you know, that's actually quite common, you know, during the sale, like same during like witch trials and stuff around this time, people were acting like cats as well because it's probably in the head that it is demonic. We'll get into it. There's a, there's a lot here. It's kind of like a little sexy cat on Yeah, it's like there's something really sexy about being a cat because cats are so um, agile and perfect and just, you know, they lick themselves. Mm. So there's, I think this is sexual liberation, but I'll see if I think of, I think mm. that way toward mm. the end. Well, you know, you know about my, my sexy cat tattoo, do you, Jenny? I have no idea about your sexy cat tattoo. You don't tattoo. know about Explain my it. sexy cat tattoo? No, no, I tattoo? don't. I don't know if it'll work over video, but I have meow tattooed on my inside lip that I got when I was like 20. Oh wow! Oh wow! Permanency. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That's very the film thirteen. I love it. But twenty. I just copied it off Ruby Rose, um, because she has that same tattoo but in bigger ink. So yeah, and I think maybe there is an element of you know cats being connected with kind of sexiness because for so long they were connected with the devil and witches and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff. There was a similar incident in the 15th century. German physician Germone Carden was summoned to a different convent in response to a nun who bit another nun, which soon started an epidemic of biting nuns that spread throughout the entire nunnery. Okay. Dr. Carden wrote, The news of this infatuation among the nuns soon spread and it now passed convent to convent throughout a great part of Germany, principally Saxony, And it afterward visited the nunneries of Holland. And at last, the nuns had biting mania, even as far as Rome. Apparently, this stopped once the nuns got exhausted. You know, I'm not a nun. I'm not like, I'm not like a stan of nuns. Like, I don't have like nuns in my bedroom. I don't have nun posters. Uh, I have none of that. (laughs) What I will say is that this just seems like people are just ruining nun fun. Like, nuns are having some fun. And a lot of people are ruining the fun. Like nuns are biting each other, you know, meowing. There's a lot of um, expressionism in that. And I I do think it's a shame. Mm. On a side note, I actually, in my MA, I was friends with a girl. Well, I wasn't friends. She was actually awful. But I was (laughs) in the same class with a girl who later became a nun. Wow. Yeah, she was doing um, an MA in PR, public relations. That's a change. And uh, she wanted to, yeah, youth... I was going to say euthanize. <laughs> euthanize. It's not euthanasia. Um, she, she wanted to make the Catholic Church more youthful. And I was like, you, you're going to have to do a lot of, you're going to have to do a lot of attractive work there, sweetie. I'm just thinking, thinking of that episode of The Simpsons. The Catholic Church, we've made some changes. <laughs> oh, jeez, yeah. Do you, know, do you know that scene I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do, I do. Uh... During the Middle Ages, many women were forced into nunneries and they were really strict in discipline. Some people believe that these women were doing this on purpose as an act of rebellion or just, you know, as, as you said, having a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. Others yeah. believe they are possessed by the devil or more aptly, um, a case of what is commonly referred to as mass hysteria. 
Oh, we love that. We love yeah. that. What do you know about mass hysteria? What, what comes to mind? Um, God. Um, sexism. Uh, women being institutionalized for no reason. Uh, and um, a lot of trauma. Yeah, a lot of bad things. There's nothing fun about hysteria to me. Yeah, there's nothing fun about hysteria, is there? Well, mass hysteria yeah. is very different to hysteria. They're, they're two Right, two okay, things. that's good to know. Mass hysteria is a phrase, it's so commonly used to basically describe like a, mora- a menagerie of different things, a menage. Um, I, I'm great, I do podcasts, but I can't speak properly. Glass menagerie, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, of course. Glass, yeah, yeah I mean, that's what I was going to think of. Um, various different things. Um, however, I would say like the most apt description would be a collection of a, a shared panic or a psychological condition. Being a theater student, I would be most well-versed with mass hysteria when dealing with Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Okay, okay. You know, the witch trials was, is considered mass hysteria, especially the Salem witch trials, like women acting like they were possessed. Yeah. You know, there's also a theory that it was ergot poisoning from like LSD and all that, but I'm not really going to be talking about that, mainly because when we think of mass hysteria and when we think of like... I feel like the witch trials is something that is so well known and documented. Whereas with this mm. podcast, I like to go for re- more niche areas of history. Uh, uh, you, you certainly do. <laughs> Starting off with biting and meowing nuns. Yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, mass hysteria. Yeah. I wonder what, what are more recent variants of that in the last, let's say, 50 years? Oh, there's so, so many, so many, too many for me to get into some that I don't want to get into because they're future podcast episodes, but I'm going to be talking about particularly in regards to like strict schools, mass hysteria. I just want to give that little introduction because I really did want to do a podcast about the meowing nuns. But what I told you is literally all the information that exists really out there. I guess I could have gone into like what nunneries were like in medieval Europe, what, like, who wants to do that? Yeah, because I don't think they've probably changed very much. <laughs> Let's be real. I, I think people aren't forced into it the same way they are. They were back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's just talk a bit about, like, we're going to talk about psychology and sociology for a little bit. Well, I'm an expert, so I'm very excited Great. to talk about Great. it. So, like, mass hysteria is used, like, people describe, like, the Black Friday sales in America as, like, mass hysteria. People describe people freaking out out about, like, you know, killer clowns as mass hysteria. It's kind of become this thing to describe so many different things. So, in order to separate it from, like, the catch-all term mass hysteria, Mm -hmm. sociological and philosophical researchers have encouraged calling it collective obsessional behavior or conversion disorder. Right. So basically, conversion disorder is like a shared psychological illness resulting with no physical reason. Okay. I'm going to explain all this, and then we can go back to the nuns and give our things. Sorry. Another reason for calling it by a different name is hysteria is problematic in its roots, deriving from the Greek word for womb, and essentially being used as an invented disease to explain problematic women, which you were kind of touching on before. Hysteria. Yes. Yes. That's that's a very separate thing, which I will do an episode about because there, there's a lot of fun stuff there about hysteria and the invention of the vibrator. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, again, that's a bit more too known. With this podcast, I try and draw the line between like weird stories that are already pretty well known and have a lot of stuff like already have so many podcast episodes 
or in the case of like hysteria has like a movie and a and a, a play written about it whereas I'm like well can I get really weird things that people are like what how do you find this Sirsha and I go well I yeah don't. you know because when I started uh, listening to the podcast I thought you were going to talk about like incest in the monarchy but then, you know, <laughs> that's just so known that's like oh just, yeah like, that's like a collective we all know I do shit on the Brits a lot in this podcast though because I have to that's exciting it's in my Irish blood not this one particularly but it, like just in my general life just in your movement, just I can just tell by your posture. Yes, you know I have to, I've got got those those Irish roots. Hysteria doesn't exist as a medical term anymore, and hasn't for over mm-hmm. fifty years. Now the thing with mass hysteria, it is more common amongst women. Not that they haven't, okay. like there are lots of men and boys and non-binary people. Everyone is a subject to mass hysteria, but throughout history. It has more often occurred in in women. And it's up for debate if this is because the typical female brain is hardwired to be more susceptible, as people thought. Or my guess, and many modern researchers' guess, would be that women are more prone to stressful, like, oppressive situations, particularly throughout history. And mass hysteria can provide a way or resistance against an op- oppressive situation or like anxieties when people can't even speak about it in a way. So when we think about these... Kind of escapism. Yeah. So when we think about these nuns, there's, you know, they were, many of whom were forced into this strict discipline, this intense pressure where they just break. Yeah, yeah. Medical sociologist Robert Bartholomew provides most of the best written texts and cases of mass hysteria. He also breaks it down into two types of collective obsessional behavior. I am going to say mass hysteria when I am talking about collective obsessional behavior, just because it's the term that I'm used to saying that other people are used to saying, but Mm -hmm. yeah. So he breaks it down into mass anxiety hysteria and mass motor hysteria. So, and I'm going mostly based on his writings and his theories, just because, you know, he does have the best, you know, textbooks about it and collecting all the evidence Mm -hmm. together. And that is, you know, where I got my research from. But do know when it comes to anything in the mind, everything is just theories. Because the rest of this is mainly coming from sources that he has found and a lot of his theories. So I don't want to say throughout the whole podcast, according to Bartholomew, according to Bartholomew. So just have that in mind Okay. as I go forward. So mass anxiety hysteria is fast acting and fast to go away and fast to come on driven by anxiety. For example, it's quite common for, Bartholomew mentions this, for like if there is a a mention that like, you know, in a prison or something that the food has been poisoned. Right. That a group of people would feel, suddenly feel the effects of food poisoning. Yeah. When the food was not poisoned whatsoever. It's like, yeah, it's like when bootleg jeans were invented and people thought that that looked good. Right? I think I yes. think I'm getting the hang of this. <laughs> yes. You you know, if, if acting doesn't doesn't work for you, you can go into sociological research. I think so. I think I get the human consciousness. But that that's that's yeah. yeah. And ha- have there been many I presume there've been so many experiments on the uh I'm not gonna say the would the Stanford experiment be similar? I don't know. There's so much. And like, that's what caught me like researching this is it's just like, there are so many weird instances. So, you know, 
there was a lot of instances of people acting like cats um, during witch trials. And back then they were like, oh, they're possessed, they're possessed. But as well, if you're in a society where you are told that this is what it is to be possessed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And another thing is like, um, you know, symptoms of like for mass anxiety, hysteria, like dizziness, hyperventilation, headaches, nausea, heart palpitations, basically like general anxiety attacks, but happening with a group of people having the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this was super common in a lot of American schools after 9-11 because like the threat of a terrorist attack. So there were loads of schools mm. with this mass anxiety hysteria outbreaks of, you know. And, and gun violence collective. as well, because that was, yeah. cause, um, what's it called? Uh, oh, God, uh, Columbine was maybe. Columbine, Columbine yeah. Sorry. yeah, a year or two before 9-11. So that must have, yeah, that was a very fucking, ter- well, it's still school shootings are so fucking prevalent, you know, now. But yeah, back then it was just so on the cusp, on the nose. Yeah, especially when you're a kid, you're so susceptible to, you know, your, your your little brain is developing. Absolutely. I recently heard that you don't actually get out of, like your brain is fully formed, I don't know, frontal lobe or whatever by like, what is it, 25, 26, which gives me a lot of mm. hope. I'm Not me. I'm gone. I'm, <laughs> I can't get, you can't fix this now. You can't, <laughs> unfortunately. You're, you're just regressing. So the other one, which... And that's the thing. A lot of these instances of mass hysteria, you know, with the witch trials or with like witches in some cases could very well have just been people faking it. Other like, but in most of the cases or a lot of the cases, they're genuine symptoms. Yeah. So Bartholomew wrote a book particularly about like mass hysteria in schools from like 1600s onwards. So I am going to be focusing on just one one chapter and stuff I took from that chapter going forward so the second type which I think is interesting and important to talk about is mass motor hysteria which is characterized by suedo seizures and partial like partial paralysis paralyzing sometimes oh paralysis yeah a lot of this would have been accused of being witchcraft back in the time basically you see this when Groups are under extreme stress and pressure for a prolonged period of time that eventually it like affects the brain when like if you've like so much stress on a brain for a long period of time, slowly the accumulated stress disrupts the motor neurons and causes all these issues. And the thing with mass motor hysteria as opposed to mass anxiety hysteria is that these cases can last for up to a year or a few days or a few hours. Where, oh, wow. Yeah, like proper long acting. It's not like a quick, sudden response to something. It's a response to something after a very long time of pressure. So with that in mind, one thing that caused a lot of mass motor hysteria throughout, particularly Europe, was mental discipline, which was an educational theory developed by German philosopher Christian von Wolff. In 1734. Okay. We're talking about schools and poor kids having loads of pressure that they start getting seizures. Oh my God. I can, and, and pity being mean to kids. Yeah. I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So this theory, mental discipline, was popularized later by Thomas Reed. Theory basically views the mind as a muscle that needs to be trained with exercise mainly through terrible repetitive tasks of like writing the same sentence 
over and over and over and over again. So I have to blame this fucking idiot for me being bad at Irish. Yeah, it's basically just the leaving cert. It's basically leaving cert. For fuck's sake. (laughs) And memory recall, like having to learn, like having to memorize, commit stuff to memory. Basically that like learning history and learning maths wasn't to learn history and to learn maths, but for what it trains in the brain. So for instance, under this mental discipline theory, studying geometry makes you better at reason. Okay. So this became a widely accepted approach across Europe in the late 19th centuries from like late 1800s to the early 1900s. Even though it wasn't true, like it wasn't accurate. And yeah. Not at all. Even around the time, Edward Lee Thorndike largely defuted it. Like doing tests being like, these kids that have been doing mental discipline are no, uh, are no better at They're reasoning. so dumb. Well, it, these kids are so dumb. It's not that. It's just that they're the exact same as the other kids that haven't been doing yeah. it. But they're they're more stressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're more sad. But even still, European schools remained largely regurgitation machines with little to no creativity. This method would only really disappear around the start of World War One. Oh wow! And not all schools followed it. It was most common in like areas of Europe, but loads and loads and loads of schools. Like I'm going to name a good few cases now, but I had to leave out a lot because the fact being that. So many schools that were following mental discipline began to... Mount Temple. Mount Temple. (laughs) Mount Temple. Began to suffer from various cases of motor hysteria, which is common in repressed settings, which I believe a lot of the witch things was this as well. And I think that's what happened to these nuns. France, yeah, France had it particularly tough. I think in general, France still has a very strict school system, which I think dates back to this like history of mental discipline. Right, right, right. So like in 1908, a British inquiry on European education cited French schools as being far too intense. They actually had no break time or play time um, because in France at the time, teachers were responsible for kids if they got into like, you know, if they got into trouble, if they like scraped their knee or something. So to make it easier, they just didn't have, and this is primary school kids. So this is like, you know, five, 12 year olds just weren't allowed out to run around gonna be controversial if i was a teacher i'm not gonna say it's valid but uh uh yeah not on my watch kids you're gonna sit the fuck down and you're gonna have a nice conversation over some you know i don't know jam sandwiches Mm. that you can't choke on so cut off your crusts and leave me the fuck alone exactly it's not the teacher's fault though it's like the school system being like right just blaming everything on teachers that's true yeah Love yeah. teachers. If you're a teacher, we love you. Do we? And you tell those kids to fuck off. <laughs> I know. I love substitute teachers. They get a, such a hard wreck. They, yeah, they're treated so badly. But you know what? You know they, they've got they've got other things going on. You know they're in a band. You know they ice skate for a living. So I, I'm. They're always the most interesting teachers. I find. Some elite Swiss and German schools were particularly strict on primary, at primary school age. Punishments were harsh and severe, and there was an obsession with order, obedience, and uniformity, um, which I'm not saying, you know, directly led to, you know, the Nazis and youth nations, but I kind of am. <laughs> kind of are. Yeah. I kind of am. You, you know, you know, you, you can't, you can't do this. Um, oh, here's a, here's a, a quote from a school inspector from 1878, speaking of a school in Bavaria. 
It truly does not matter if one serves his three years in the army or in the schoolhouse. So, like, schools were strict in mainland Europe. Oh, I can imagine. What were the uniforms like? See, I don't have an issue with uniforms if the uniform is nice. Because I don't have that many clothes. So I'm not turning up to school with, you know, my best dressed every day. You know, that can include a lot of bullying. So I'm here for uniformity. But then when it becomes um, on the cusp of being a Nazi and bad costuming, that's where I kind of yeah, have I, a bit of an issue. Yeah, I think I think uniforms are kind of nice and fun. But I think you're, you're at an issue where it becomes so strict where like it's like okay yeah everyone we wear the same jumper that's cool but then when it becomes a case of like oh you can't have your hair that long or you can't um you know you can't wear that red lipstick it's an assault on individualism and i think education as a whole it just needs uh, people it just needs to cater per student like people learn in different mm-hmm. ways and people like that's the one thing i'll give it to the brits for like a levels i do think that's really interesting how you get to choose three subjects that are like yours and um and you specifically but then that leads to kind of making bigger decisions at a young age i don't know i think i think because I think in England, you know, you do the 11s, which decides if you get into like a good grammar school or not. I'm like, that's way too much pressure for an 11 year old. Oh, I was yeah. I was an idiot when I was 11. Like I, because, you know, I was right, really right. struggled with spelling. I really struggled with spelling and grammar and all that nonsense. I also went to an all Irish school with an American mother. So I had no idea what was going on like 100% of the time. Oh, Gale school. <laughs> Fabulous. Gale school, yeah. But I like, I went to a Gale school, but I was like, my mom was American. She did her best. And I, ha- I had like two sisters who were like ordinary level Irish. And also I had my own like learning disabilities where I, I you know, I did, I did go Seuss-Styra and I was in the remedial classes once a week. <laughs> Basically, uh, I was the dumb kid in prime when I was 11. And like, I was the kid that failed most of the subjects. And then, I, and then I went to secondary school and they started judging it in a different way. Like maths wasn't right or wrong. It was like, well, you understood the method, but you still got the wrong answer. So you still got a good points. Sure. I actually got quite good academically when I was in secondary school, like in an English speaking environment and where I, yeah. you know, had more, you know, I developed more. And so I really think it's not fair that as an 11 year old, you're like, if I, like, if I, Like in England, you have to take these tests that decide if you go to a good grammar school. From that, you get better A-level subjects. And I know, I like the generalization. I don't know. Anyway. But yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, I get that. That makes perfect sense. And it kind of relates back to the fact of in Irish schools as well, where you have to do those, what, those Sigma T tests or whatever. and And then like kids are like put into ordinary level English, let's say. I'm like, but what are you basing that on? Like, you don't know... Like, could kids not have more of a choice where they kind of go like, oh, I want to push myself with higher level or I know I prefer to do ordinary. My school kind of did that. Like, I know we had. Okay. But I remember I I refused to do ordinary level maths for the Leaving Cert, even though I failed most tests. I just refused. I Stubborn. I love it. (laughs) And then like, like even during the mocks, it's just like, maybe you should consider it. I'm like, nope. No, don't wanna. I refuse to be ordinary at anything. <laughs> but I was able to do that in the Irish school. I mean, maybe that's just my school, and maybe because I was kind of on the cusp, and like I did get 
grinds and it was it's, I passed higher level math and it was all grand it was 25 points honey yes yeah I did already level I'm not gonna lie I, I was like you but gave up <laughs> I was like you know what I like uh, I just had so much fun in maths class I just didn't give a fuck I was like you know what I'm just gonna go to UCD and I'm just gonna have a fun time as strict as the school systems are uh now particularly with the leaving cert and the un like the huge amount of pressure puts on kids it was nowhere near the same level that a lot of these elite schools were were having in back in this time and i will say that like uh, most of these cases happened in all girls catholic schools wow yeah you know? that's so yeah specifically in 1892 a catholic girls school in biberach southern germany now most of these cases happen in southern germany notorious for their really strict school systems a young girl kept falling into a trance and eventually her frightened classmates, and I quote, fell into such condition themselves that they could not be awakened by shaking, calling, or even by pricking with pins. Uh, some girls sprouted nonsense, others violent convulsions. So it was common to basically have a threshold for pain. So basically they're pricking these girls with right. pins and they're just numb. They're like, I can't feel Throwing it. them downstairs. Yeah. And they were just Grant, like, whatever. Grant. In 1893, uh, one year later, another girl's school also in southern germany multiple girls were were weeping with wild exaggerated gestures and were at times breaking into uncontrollable laughter with like the same symptoms the physician called to the school wrote of girls dragging along fellow classmates who had gone limb healthy students were taken back to class it's just like chaos which it just it just that they read a meme or something yeah. and they're like <laughs> The unwell were taken to an open window, reassured and told to take deep breaths. In total, 25 girls were affected. The physician, I love this. The physician threw water in their faces, telling them to quit such nonsense. The outbreak lasted 24 hours. And the next day, everyone was grand. Were these, were these boarding schools? A lot of them were, yeah. Oh, I have such a Not fancy. all of them. I love boarding schools. I know they're probably <laughs> horrific, but I just, I, I can't be alone in saying that. I just, I dreamed and I had a pretty decent childhood, right? My parents were great, but I just wanted to get away and go to a boarding school. I just think shit like that would have happened and it would have made me a far more interesting person. Like imagine these girls telling these stories like years mm. later being like, you know, we were um, under the influence not like boarding schools aren't very common in Ireland and I think like they're much more common in in England and I think you know we're of the same generation we grew up with the media of like Harry Potter and like the worst witch and there is this kind of like yeah. oh man I, Zoe 101 Zoe 101 exactly there was this kind of like idea of like wouldn't that be so fun to just like live with friends and you know have a grand old time be in and, danger yeah. all the time love love a bit of love a bit of danger just you know something exciting like love a bit um, of now and uh, yeah. that same year seven girls in a school in austria suffered similar convulsions and i will say that you know these cases were happening in schools that were doing mental discipline they're happening in schools where they were like forced to to do stuff it occasionally happened in britain but not as common and that's because mental discipline was not as common as it was 
However, in May 1905, 45 students at a girls' school in Derby in the English Midlands exhibited fits of screaming and fainting. They were too weak to walk and had to be carried home to rest. They thought it was a gas leak. So these, these girls were asking in such a way that they legitimately thought there was a gas leak in the school. So they put mice in to test, basically being like, okay, if it is a gas right. leak, we'll put these mice in. They'll act weird. But the mice were grand. That's good. There's no information on how and when the epidemic disappeared and stopped. I, I, the interesting thing I have to think about this kind of more uh, the, like mental agility or whatever, the, uh, the, the, the mental discipline. Yeah. Mental discipline. Like what was the end goal? Because I suppose back then access to education was super exclusive and especially mm. for young women, it was exclusively for men. So I'm just, I'm questioning, I'm, I'm not questioning. I mean, what was the overall end goal of this um, of this way of teaching? Like, was it to produce a certain type of person into the real world? To train the brain, to train the brain. And, and exactly what you said, it was quite exclusive. So a lot of these elite schools had waiting lists. So there was pressure on the kids of like, if you fuck up your exams, if you don't do well, you know, there's a waiting list, you'll get expelled, you'll get kicked out. So you, you have that pressure on top of the, the, the work. Yeah. There are many, many reports of like hand tremors, like ha- just like hands shaking between June and September in 1892. A writing tremor epidemic struck a school in Grostings again in Germany. On June 28th, the right hand of a 10-year-old girl started trembling and soon her whole body was shaking. The next day, loads of other classmates' hands started trembling. And these are girls between like five and 12. With each new case, you know, they were taken out of class. And by mid to late July, so this was going on for like a really long time, the symptoms had peaked and almost every girl was stricken and had to be carried out by the boys. 20 of the school's 38 girls were stricken and eight of them lost consciousness. There was no physical reason for this, just from stress from school. Oh my God, it's so intense. That's so intense. These fits lasted between 15 minutes to an hour. Interestingly enough, these fits didn't happen when they were at home. They only happened when they were in school. (laughs) What were they feeding them? (laughs) Stress. Stress, the bowls of stress. Bowls of stress with with the side helping of fucking stress. The principal ordered the school to close. And when the school reopened August 19th, the convulsions were gone. Probably because they had, you know, the break. Yeah, the break. Only to return. (laughs) Only to return. Oh my God. That same year, similar troublings were happening at a girls' school in Basel, Switzerland. 12 years later... It happened again at the same school, specifically 11 to 15 years with the same symptoms. This outbreak happened the same time that there was a rumor going around that the tremor would force the school to close for six weeks. So not saying that the kids were faking it. I don't think they were with the level of stress, but I think there is a subconscious. Right. Especially at a young age, you you know, they're like 11 to 15. You're quite young subconsciously your brain's at this stress you hear you're like oh this might be a way for me to get a break you don't know how to actively get a break mm-hmm. so yeah 
However, the, they had a crisis talk and the school was determined to stay open no matter what. But instead of punishing the students that were affected, they were put into a separate classroom um, for a month and their workload was halved and they were fed well. <laughs> they and were fed full stop, Saoirse. Yeah, that, they were fed well. <laughs> they were given food. Uh, uh, only 27 were affected and it soon subsided because they just... Uh, gave them less work and made sure they had full bellies. Great. Well, fuck those 27, but yeah, woo improvement. So similar trembling affected loads of schools across East Central Germany between 1905 and 1906, affecting children. Would you believe it was more likely with children that had heavy writing workloads? Oh, the poor handies. Um, in one... <laughs> did, they, did they write in cursive? I presume cursive I was the so. main mode yeah, of writing. I think so. Because um, cursive is still... It's only really in recent times in like within the past like 20 years or 10 years that cur- gel pens. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We remember right on. Do you know, I think it's probably the pressure because I know I had a lot of pressure when I was in fourth class when I finally had to write in pen mm. because once you got to writing in pen, there was no going I back. I remember that. Tipex was not allowed. I remember that. I remember when you had teachers that made you write in pen. And like that, Mm. so you're just bringing back some intense. It's like writing an awful tweet. It will never go away. So you better fucking write it well. Well, I think particularly like, because I'm dyspraxic, so I can't write on the lines. I would constantly just like go up or write in terrible handwriting Mm -hmm, or like mm -hmm. write the wrong thing. Can't just erase that shit. No. You're told not to use Tipex. Yeah. Like... Use pencils as long as you want, is what I'm saying. I think if they had used rubbers pencil... Rubbers exist for a reason. Rubbers are not only good contraceptives, it's also... A li- a li- for my American listeners, ex- which is half of my listeners, so... Oh, really? What a f- yeah, yeah, what a fun uh, what a fun um, cohort. Hi, guys. Yeah. Um, how's it going? <laughs> Anyone got an apartment I can stay in? I've never been to America. Anyway, uh, but, but, but yeah, I think if they had just, you know, had access to pencils... I think a lot of these girlies would have had a much more enjoyable school experience. But let's not undermine the collective fun of um, of having Shaking a... Shaking tra- uncontrollably yeah, together. Yeah, having a traumatic experience together. Did they As bond? One, did they bond? I think they did. You know, I don't know that much. I like To be honest, maybe they were writing in pencil. Um, can any history buffs out there tell me, like... But I feel like it was pen. It must have been. I... Quills? Am I just being an idiot? Quills? Um, blood, perhaps? Oh, I would love me blood. They're writing in their own blood. Like, that's gonna make you faint. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they just were all anemic. I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, if you're writing in your own blood and you're under that pressure, like, they were probably fainting from, you know... I mean, I know I fainted when I was uh, getting blood tests on once not from seeing the blood but because I hadn't eaten that day right and they took like five vials of blood yeah I, uh, I think which is, I think they take too much they take too much blood like yeah I think they fuck with you testing like they just want to t- take an extra blood just see how much they can get away with it yeah because they're just so prepared for you to like lie down they're like lie down if you want and I'm like I'm on my lunch break whoa <laughs> they also, leave you you, everyone listening should donate blood if you can. If you can, yes. If you can. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of people that can't. Um, but if you are yes. healthy, able-bodied, and society lets you give blood, do it. Because it's, it's a good thing to do. 
Um, Absolutely. I can't, which is a great excuse that I use all the time. <laughs> Same. I remember in, in college, they used to run, people used to go around, donate blood. And I was like, honey, read a book. I can't. <laughs> I can't. But I would if I could. And I hopefully one day I shall. Have they changed that though? That's such BS. Last I heard, and I now do not quote me because there could have been re- very recent updates, but I think there has to be some sort of... Um, uh abs what's a absent what's the word abstinence. yeah abstinence of some period of time um <laughs> but even that is new i think it was just straight up like nope if you are if gay, you've don't, ever nope. had a homosexual thought don't don't try it <laughs> don't if you have ever even accidentally seen a willy that was not your own no go home we don't we don't want your blood we don't want your content. If you watched Full House and liked Uncle Jesse or whatever, uh-uh, we don't want your blood, sweetie. We don't want to. So in one school, in these like German schools out, we're fucking making shaking kids. School physician Johann Schwandl, Schwandl gave the students electroshock therapy in the hopes that it would cure them. Um, Which it did. I think it's similar with the beating of the nuns, you know, you them through duress i guess you essentially force them to stop the first victim said he and this is interesting because i just read this it was the first victim of one of the schools was a male okay and he said that he had read about the tremor disease in the newspaper so you know subconsciously that's how it like spread to the school which is you were saying about how now i didn't look too much into this mainly because as i said with this podcast I had to choose what to focus on because there was just so much. But there are a lot of cases of mass hysteria spreading through social network. So it's spreading from like instances spreading from schools, from people reading about it or seeing it on on the TikTok. On the TikTok of our time. So these kind of tremors were much at the time was much less uh, popular in North America, mainly because mental discipline was used in a different way and schools were not as strict. However, in America around the time, there was a series of fainting spells and uh, the, and tremors, seizures did happen, but they were nowhere near as common. And where the seizures did take place, they only took place in schools that was known for strict discipline, which, you know, mm-hmm. lets you know that it wasn't a... Because at the time, they didn't know if it was like... A, they, they didn't know it wasn't physical. Like they could, thought this could have been a disease, a virus that was being spread. Right. So you have to think, well, you know, um, in America and Canada, most of the outbreaks that were happening reflected stereotypes throughout the times about how girls were conditioned to believe that they were psychologically fragile. Same to the history of like the witch trials, you know, mm-hmm. now I know it's bad, but I just think it's hilarious. The amount of fainting epidemics throughout time. That's my favorite thing about any sensibility style novel is that people would faint and die because they're out in the rain for 10 minutes. I just think that is, mm. there's something very glamorous about <laughs> fainting. We're gonna, you're going to love this story then. Um, mm. So a small boarding school in New York. So again, boarding school. Gossip girl. A strict one. In 1899, a set of curtains caught fire. <sighs> Two girls that witnessed it shrieked and fainted. 
Other girls rushed to the scene. One of them fainted and others stood around weeping, like not like consciously as in they like their brains just broke. Others ran out of the building. Eventually the only man in the building arrived and saw the room on fire. Three girls passed out and loads of girls screaming and convulsing. And there were many, many, many cases of American schoolgirls fainting during school fires in America across this time. In a Colorado school, June 1897, four students fainted on a school boat trip. Um, and the first, yeah. Can we just remember, sorry, can we just remember those girls who left the building? They're my favorite characters who are just like, <laughs> I'm going to leave this burning building. Like you girls can faint and vomit all you want, but we're just going to like nicely just leave this building. Did you, um, did you ever watch Community? Um, not religiously, but I have watched quite a few episodes. There's just this image that it's like a it's a gif because it's that well known of um Donald Glover like what he's the, he coming in after getting the pizza and just the whole like thing is on fire and people are screaming and like being like all this chaos and he's just like that's just what I envision this poor guy <laughs> like going in and he's like curtains are on fire there's like three fainted girls women are screaming <laughs> and like it is interesting that at least from our understanding of analyzing these times is it's that it's not that women were more psychologically fragile it was that you know they are conditioned to believe that they are more psychologically fragile Mm -hmm. so when placed under duress subconsciously it's fascinating it's fascinating yeah yeah yeah. um as i said when i started researching this i was kind of shocked about how many epidemics there were um interestingly enough like like as in there's been like i don't want to i don't want to talk about them too much because i I do want to do future episodes about different things so i do want to focus on schools in particular fainting epidemics are quite common as were these like convulsions epidemics and as were laughing epidemics of people just laughing in a way that was damaging to them that would last for a very very long time and what's interesting is all of these cases happen when in areas where either there was a lot of stress on the kids and um, particularly mm-hmm. if we're going to blame it on the Brits again, but there, there are cases in like um, the South Pacific or places in Africa where when these epidemics took place was during a time when, you know, the kids were pulled between the stress of a, you know, Christianity and like a new way of living and their old, mm-hmm. like, and their old religion and their own family values and that stress mixed with like new school system is what causes it. Or in the case that we were focusing on for today's episode, with all of these ridiculously strict schools in a time where although schools are strict now, they were nowhere near as strict as they were across Europe during this time. Children were literally having the, like seizure fits that they didn't understand. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that, although yes, probably some of these were fakes, you know, in some instances, I think the majority, they were genuine symptoms. I don't think these girls wanted to faint. I don't think these girls wanted to shake and convulse. Like who wants to have a seizure? And often yeah, most of the girls and most of the men, because it happened to boys as well, like, like a lot of these seizure schools, um, there, there were cases in mixed schools where it did happen with boys as well. It's not that it only happened to girls. It was just more common in girls. Right. Yeah. 
like the symptoms are real because it was brought on by anxiety doesn't mean the physical effects of what they're feeling isn't real. So, oh, yeah, of course. I could go on and on about various epidemics because it is shocking how many they are. And it's interesting that it is the schools with like strict discipline. So, I'm guess I want to round this off with just saying I went to go on a bit of a rant, but I feel passionately of just like be gentle on your kids. And maybe we need be to be gentle on your be kids. Be gentle on your kids. And maybe we need to ease the leaving cert because we don't want uh, fainting kids or seizures or breaking kids' brains. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's child abuse. <laughs> it is. It is it child is. abuse. It, it's child abuse. Um, That's everything that I have at least written and like con- collected for today's episode. As I said, I really had to stop myself researching, like, because. You know, it's impossible and people write papers about this and I I really had to like just rein myself in. But mm-hmm. I hope you found that interesting. So like, what, what do you think? So going back to the nuns after hearing all of that to round it off, let me just hear your thoughts about things and what you learned. What I learned. Memory recall. Memory recall. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, that wasn't the most insensitive response. Um <laughs> Whoa! Seriously, what's happening? Um, oh no, it's happening to me. Too. Oh god! Um, what's happening to us? Uh, I, what have I learned? I've yeah, I, I, I've really, God, just the rest, just the, just to have a better idea of the the pressures that these these you know these these groups of people had, um, in these institutions, um that uh, kind of uh, really kind of almost displaces oppressed groups and these really awful conditions and how collective togetherness can both be therapeutic and also really damaging. I found that really interesting. Um, Mm. And the modes in which people, I don't know, try and uh, adapt to their surroundings. I, I'm definitely more interested in schools, mainly because mm. that is something I have experienced. Now I haven't experienced mass hysteria. Well, maybe in a subtle way. Yeah. Actually, yeah. the subtle ways are there more subtle ways of mass hysteria. Like, like you're you kind of brought up some examples. I don't know if this is a future episode, so do stop me if that's the case. But like about like Black Friday, you know how we kind of almost become primal as as mm. a people over like capitalism over sports you know <laughs> what you know these kind of memories in the zeitgeist that have really changed people permanently yeah it's well that's why i was kind of talking at the start like mass hysteria is such a, has become a very catch-all term yes for anything like that mm-hmm. so like with the schools i was very much trying to focus on what i believe were genuine instances of physical diseases and physical symptoms but something that was purely psychological and also it was a way I guess in a society which I to be honest I don't think anyone I don't think anyone listening to this podcast can even begin to imagine what it must be like to grow up in a society where you can't openly talk about things or you don't have the knowledge of how to talk about your feelings and it was a way to subconsciously revolt against a system yeah absolutely when you physically and mentally can't it's it's your body fighting forward 
and to just be aware of of that and the power of the mind and also how all of this is still a new science i think we're still we still don't really know a lot of these cases of the past even you know with the Salem rich trials even with like various dancing plagues that i've kind of mentioned before we don't know if you know, it was a case of mass motor hysteria where it was just the brain breaking it. If it was a case of they accidentally did US, USD, where they accidentally did LSD or mushrooms, or if it is a case of they're just pretending, but then the symptoms were so real. There's no way I think you, they would, particularly with like some of those laughing cases, like you can't fake that. Yeah. And because there's just so it's, many, it just, it can't be, it, so it can't be a coincidence. And and, and because no. of, of the factors are so similar. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely isn't coincidence. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah. But that's everything, Danny. Uh, would you like to, to plug or let people know where they can find you? Um, yeah, I'll keep it short. Um, much like my, um much like my uh my patience uh blah, 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 blah. ah oh so you can reach me on instagram at denny redmond um and that is it in terms of my socials because i'm <laughs> not that much of a social gal i don't you know it's social media fuck you that's my message <laughs> fuck you except the good parts of social media like pinterest Podcast. Podcast. Oh, yeah. Pinterest. Of course. Podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, like this incredible podcast right here. Uh, Thank you, Daniel. Uh, but yeah, Pinterest. Ooh. Go into Pinterest. Look at something fun. Make a mood board. You know, if 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 if, if these individuals <laughs> had mood boards, do you think they this would have happened? No, because they would have put on, no. you know, a collage of sadness and stress and cursive, and they would have expressed themselves. And you know what? You're right. You know, and, and this is um this this will be a segue to um my own personal research um on this topic. Thank you. That's so, you know, you're so right. What lovely advice and what a lovely way to use your plug, Denny. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for coming on, and thank you, listeners, for listening. As always, I have of course been your host, Sirsha Shanae. You can find my socials in the link below because I'm getting tired of saying them all the time. But if you like this podcast, keep listening and tell other people to listen to it too because I, I'm trying to figure out if it's worth still doing now that the world's slowly coming out of a pandemic. Um, if you want to reach me about the podcast specifically, you can email absurdrealhistory at gmail.com. And that's it. I'm going to go start a, a new board on Pinterest. Woo!